Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parikh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Hey, and welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast. Uh, today, our guest is Eileen Lee, who is the co-founder of The Lola, as well as uh, previously, she was the COO of Venture for America. Eileen, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So um, first, before we get into all the stuff that you've got going on here at The Lola, I'd love for you to give us a couple of minutes about your background and what got you to where we are right now. Sure. So I am uh, born and raised New Yorker. Um, so my husband, who moved up and down the East Coast, likes to call me a Yankee, uh, living here in Atlanta in the Southeast. Um, I started off my career as a management consultant at Accenture, as many of us do, and most people leave after two years. I stuck around for close to six, um, very directionless, didn't really know what I wanted to do, and then fell into starting my um, first company, Venture for America. Um, was the COO there and was able to grow that nonprofit um, from you know 40 fellows that we recruited right out of college who were aspiring entrepreneurs to over 200 each summer and the organization still going around today and um, then had the opportunity to live outside of New York for the first time in my life and moved to Atlanta um, almost seven years ago and <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning, but I didn't know a single soul in Atlanta I hadn't even visited when um, we knew we were going to move, my husband and I. And so we tweeted. I, don't, I haven't tweeted in probably about seven years. Right. <laughs> but we sent a tweet from the Venture for America account, and Sanjay responded. He's the first one who responded. <laughs> was the first person that I met here in Atlanta. Um, was awesome because we were trying to get to know the startup ecosystem here. And then as I was transitioning out of my role at Venture for America, I'll refer to it as VFA. I knew I wanted to start another business, started talking to other potential co-founders and met my co-founder Martine here. We both um, really were excited to tackle how do we better support professional women. Um, she had been in corporate for a while. I had been at startups, still incredibly challenging regardless of where you are for yeah. professional women. And then, oh gosh, COVID hit and made it so much harder. But right. um, we launched this space at the Lola in July of 2019. Um, we just celebrated our fourth anniversary. So I've been in the startup space for about almost 12 years. And then really both companies have been focused on community building. So I'm yeah. now sort of realizing, I think I was perhaps in a little bit of denial, but that's really my sweet spot and my bread and butter. I love yeah. building communities, supporting one another, creating that structure, that sense of belonging and that stickiness for people. Yeah. So you've got an interesting background versus almost all of the other guests we've ever had on the podcast because you spent time working with people that wanted to be entrepreneurs before you became an entrepreneur yourself. Mm -hmm. How did that change the way that you thought about being a founder? Was it the like, did you see lessons there or 
you know, what was it that that really helped you with? Um, so I, you know, I joke around, we recruited 22 year olds right out of college. Um, right. And at the time, it's like the younger millennial generation. Yeah. And part of the training that we um, gave them at this boot camp that we hosted every summer, we would talk about like, these are the perceptions that, you know, workers, older people have of the millennial generation. They um, are entitled, they don't receive feedback well, and then they'd all get up in arms and we're like, they don't receive feedback well. <laughs> but <laughs> they are so incredibly ambitious and all of the ones that we selected, and we were specifically looking for conscious entrepreneurs who want to build meaningful companies. Right. And not so not just, I wanna make like a gaming app or something in Bitcoin or in tech and like right. sell it and, and get really rich, that's my goal. The goal was, how do we make a positive impact on, mm -hmm. you know, a greater sort of group or community of people? That was really inspiring for me. I sort of fell into starting Venture for America. I was quite naive, didn't know what I didn't know, but I knew that we were filling a gap in the market and that was exciting enough for me. But the impact and sort of how you change the trajectory of people's careers and lives, these, I'm calling them kids, but these fellows saw that from the get-go and that, yeah. was, that was so inspiring to me. I didn't understand... How do you have the confidence and the conviction coming out of school um, and in that age? And um, I still keep in touch with them. We're actually uh, like first customers for some of a new startup that one of the first class of fellows oh, is awesome. starting. So it's just been amazing. I, I joke around, but I'm, I'm pretty serious about this, that I can't like I can't wait to ride the coattails of some of them who are going to start big companies <laughs> and hopefully hire me someday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, what was it about starting the Lola that made sense for you? Like, why did you think about this as a niche that you wanted to get into? Um, so at Venture for America, we, our first class of fellows was 40 folks um, from various universities and colleges. Uh, I think the majority were men and white mm -hmm. men. And so, you know, over the years, we really, um, put forth effort to make sure we were recruiting more women, more diverse fellows of color. And so I helped start the first women's group to support our uh, female fellows at Venture for America. And we all know startups and small businesses are kind of the wild, wild west as it relates to like <laughs> HR functions. Right. And unfortunately, I was the front line of like the first line of defense when a fellow, a female fellow would experience any sort of harassment or yeah. discrimination. And so that really, you know, was heartbreaking. I'm glad yeah. I could support them in that, but also made me realize there's so many great benefits to being the first employee, entry-level employee to a small, yeah. you know, early stage, fast-growing startup. But if you don't have someone to advocate for you from that aspect of right. being underrepresented or whatever it is, it could make it hard to almost traumatizing, right? Yeah. And so um, having started the women's group and not, you know, start, uh, saying that that solved the problems, but even just having that support group and having um, all the female fellows had advisors and mentors. And, you know, I've taken, I've had calls with some of the women and said, we are not going to partner with this company. We mm -hmm. are going to take you out. We will help you find another job. Yep. So I think from that aspect, I realized it's really hard anywhere you go, how can we better support women? And then Martine yeah. and I really aligned. It doesn't matter if you're at a company that has hundreds of thousands of employees, it's still incredibly challenging. How can we create a safe, comfortable space and physical space that's designed right. uh, with women in mind? And looking at Atlanta, there really wasn't a space. The vast majority of physical spaces are still designed with men in mind. Yeah. Um, talk about like the temperature, uh, the weight of doors, whenever they have 
hooks for your bags. I can barely reach them. I'm five three, especially in the women's bathroom. So there's just like, so we really wanted to be intentional about um, women, what our needs are, different body types and heights. We have a wellness room here. It not only has all of the um, nursing pumping sort of baby needs, but we also have a heating pad and pain relievers if you're having a bad um, PMS or a period sort of um, right. day or if you just need a place to close your eyes. Yeah. So just trying to be really thoughtful of the things that I think oftentimes women in the workplace try to hide or not talk about. Or, right. Yeah. Normal human functions yes. that, <laughs> that half the population goes through. Exactly. So it, it is something that should be managed and helped with. Yep. Um, so, okay, that, that all makes sense. So uh, you've been working through this. Uh, you started the Lola before the pandemic. Just before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit. How has that been? in terms of dealing with all of this. It's I'll be the first one to not recommend to open a brick and mortar <laughs> <laughs> or something that's totally not pandemic proof. Yeah. Um, but we're still here and that feels kind of like a miracle in itself. Right. Um, because we still had to pay rent and all the building expenses mm -hmm. all throughout the pandemic. And women left the workforce for all the reasons that we heard over the past few years. Right. And we got members, uh, we had members who reached out and said, I'm sorry, I got laid off. I need to stay home with my kids because I lost childcare. I have elderly immunocompromised parents to take care of. Mm -hmm. So that, that really, for so, for so many reasons, women took a hit and then our membership took a hit, especially right. compared to other co-working spaces. Right. The rebound took, has been taking much longer. Yeah. So how did you manage that process and making sure that yeah. rent uh, got paid and everything. I'm I'm going to I'm like going to toot my horn here. I'm pretty awesome at uh, applying to loans and grants. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it like while watching TV at this point and yeah. that has taken that has um, gotten us uh, a long way. So everything from PPP to SBA loans to Invest Atlanta, the city of Atlanta um, yeah. offered a couple of reimbursable grants a lot of businesses, um, and they still do, they're still coming. There are a lot of grants that I think corporate sponsors, uh, specifically for women, women of color. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of like this machine in our Lola community. I'm on all the newsletters. So anytime I see a grant, I post it, I'll tag whoever I think is eligible or interested. Right. Um, that really has gotten us um, a long way. That, and then also we have incredibly loyal and supportive members. So yeah. we have had so many members that have stayed with us. I have not seen them in years, but they really? continue to support us. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that that speaks to the community that you've built here, yeah. um, which is really the strength of almost any company that you start, right? If you build that strong community to support it. Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. Okay, so let's let's kind of shift a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, doing anything entrepreneurial as you've experienced and you've seen is it can be a little nerve-wracking. You know, what was it about starting the Lola that made you nervous? Was there anything? Um, well, being in a new city that I didn't have a network with, yeah. I very quickly realized 
that I need to network quickly, but also Atlanta is a very special place in that everybody that I talked to was like, oh, you're a newbie here. And sort of, you know, in a good way, like you need to like get to know all of us in the city before right. we kind of, you know, accept you or welcome you with open arms. So I right. was um, very aware of that. And it's funny, I've been here for almost seven years and I still get now. Oh, you're just, you're new. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, how many years is it going to take then? And then it was like 20 or 30. I'm like, okay. That's <laughs> yeah. um, but so that was definitely challenging. Um, and, but the, the thing that was felt very organic was we set out to talk to as many women as possible. So through surveys, hosted focus groups in different neighborhoods, anyone who like, who uh, we piqued their interest um, we asked, that's great. Would you host your network? Right. And through that first year, we met over 3,500 women in and around um, Atlanta. And that's when we really had the conviction of we need to have a place like this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think just doing it just like how, how any other startup kind of figures out the market right. um, and the customers. It was it was great to everybody was really open Um and honest about what we what, what what they wanted to see in a place like this. So it sounds like you spent a year. That was a year before you even opened the space yeah. or found the space to open the space. Um, so that was really like your market research, product market fit, yes. and like figuring all of that stuff out. Looking back at that time now, uh, you probably changed near the end versus how you did at the beginning. What did you learn during that process of how to do that better for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. That was from Jan that was all of 2018, and I don't know if I can even say any words that you know would um, change the way people think about it. But it always takes more time to raise money. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. anytime, and I always. feel like the next time around, I'll give myself more time. It still won't be enough. <laughs> yeah. um, but we were hoping to raise money faster. It took over a year and a half to get the money to um, sign the lease, build out the space, and, and open it. Um, so we just, it, it made it, it forced us to get really creative and scrappy. Um, in July of 2018, the Hotel Claremont opened, the, they reopened and had a beautiful lobby library, lobby lounge and rooftop. And the general manager didn't know us. We reached out and we said, we love your design aesthetic. We're so excited for you to open. Any chance you'd be willing to let us kind of test out our community building uh -huh. in your space. And he said, come on in. I, I care about this stuff. Yeah. So we basically were like glorified squatters for the first year there <laughs> from July 2018 to July 2019. We hosted over 100 events there. Wow. Everything from like goal setting and accountability, professional development workshops, yoga on the rooftop, sound baths, um, yeah. salons where we invited really great speakers to talk. Um, so that helped us validate right? because our, the, the biggest question was because Atlanta is so sprawling, are people interested in coming back, um, to a space or is it that they like the movement of a lot of other virtual women's orgs that meet at Maggiano's and other places? Yeah. Um, and what kind of value can we continue to provide that they'll keep coming back for? Yeah. Um, and so by the time we were ready to open our space. We already had 200 paying members. We had a whole group of women that were co-working out of the Hotel Claremont every single day. Right. That was not our initial plan. We were so frustrated. It took so long. But when I talked to other co-working spaces, they were like, so you, oh, the day you opened your door, you had 200 paying customers. And we, and we said, yeah. And they're like, oh my goodness. A lot of times people build it and assume they will come. And then obviously it takes time and you're right. paying rent. 
So in retrospect, we wouldn't have done it any other way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, speaking from experience, myself having run a hardware software incubator, that's a much better way to go. <laughs> I oh, wish I could say that's the way it was designed. Because <laughs> opening the doors and having 12,500 square feet of white yeah. walls and nobody else in the space is very depressing yeah. uh, until the stuff starts happening. Um, okay, so you know, thinking about uh, now the companies that you have here, what have you seen in terms of, of them? Have you seen um, the benefits of them being in the space? Like, what are the things that you've kind of shifted over time and realized like, hey, this is where the, the power actually lies. And what are some of those results that you've seen with these founders? Yeah, so when we first opened, I think it was, it was so novelty. It was a, women, a women-focused space, you right. know, in Metro Atlanta. So we had a, a pretty good split of corporate employees and mm -hmm. workers, as well as entrepreneurs and business owners. Over the past few years, um, we lost all the corporate employees and I don't think anyone's gonna be surprised. It was hard for a lot of them to engage, even during the pandemic when everything went virtual. Yeah. I think that when you oftentimes work for a big company or firm, they just kind of take up your headspace and um, you just have a hard time to plug into something that's outside of it. And I also think yeah. that's by design. They don't want you to think about anything else. <laughs> and, um, and is it that those corporate workers were here working on their corporate job or something outside? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of times they couldn't find a lot of time to come here because they needed to be in the office. Got it. So we lost um, a lot of those. We do have some special ones that actively make an effort because they fully understand that their corporate job is not, you know, their only identity right and there is value in exposing and connecting to people outside of your industry i think that's a hard thing to do again because you get you're kept so busy so yeah. we do have some we have like a great producer at cnn we have um a, uh, a person at deloitte um so we do have kind of like the the gems that yeah. really see the value um but over time uh we become majority founders, freelancers, and business owners. Mm -hmm. And um, the value that a lot of them see, they either come to us because they can't work out of their home office for one more minute, because we've been all doing that for too long, um, and they would like to connect with other folks um, yeah. that are similar to them and you know connect over similar challenges. And then the others um, feel isolated because they are entrepreneurs doing it on their own. Yeah. Um, there are freelancers who want, you know, more support. So they're coming really for the community aspect. Right. And then the third, um, thing that we've been working to better promote is really, um, women who are really looking to become activated in this activism area. So whether it's, I don't get exposure around DEI things right. or I want to give back, but I don't know where to start. Um, a lot of our women have found that here, which has been awesome. We have a lot of leaders of nonprofits and social justice organizations who are members here. So that's actually another big group. And they have shared that they have gotten board members, donors, volunteers mm. through our community. Uh, we did a big push um, around voter activism around right. all, all the elections over the yeah. past few years. Um, but the sort of the life changing sort of magic um, happens when connections are made and businesses have been started, um, investors and yeah. clients have been found. That's incredible. Um, yeah. And then friendships. I think that's yeah. been the awesome part of it. And friends yeah. that you normally wouldn't meet in your day-to-day. -day. If right. you are going to an office or if you have neighborhood friends or whatnot, it's yeah. really the value of um, we have members that are in their late 20s to 80, cross-industry. Um, wow. So the, the cross-generation thing has been really cool. Personally, I've benefited so much from yeah. building relationships older yeah. and younger. So um, let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about now you in terms of, of the Lola. How do you uh, 
it can be stressful. It obviously was stressful during mm-hmm. the pandemic. How do you, for yourself, manage that stress? Um, and also, how do you delineate, you know, the time? Like, in theory, I mean, it's a building, right? You could be here all the time yeah. if you wanted to, right? Um, how do you make sure that you've got those clear lines between personal and work and, you know, make sure that things don't bleed into each other? Yeah, I was never very good at it. <laughs> I think it's that, you know, it's optimal work-life integration that I was striving to look for. Right. Um, the pan- pandemic was a gift in that sense where I was here every single day. Mm-hmm. And when when you're here, everybody wants to talk to you. You want to check in with everyone. So you don't actually get any work done. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit and I was still the only one coming in here once we reopened and I had a mask on and a... I did have one of those um, shields Face as well. shields, yeah. <laughs> that never worked. Um, <laughs> but it, it allowed me to, it basically, I mean, it rocked all of our worlds. But once we reopened, and even today, I only come a couple days a week. I lean on our team members. We have um, a team of great community managers who help us run the space. So, again, knowing myself, I, I would be here every day if something fundamentally didn't change right. and shift. So that helped shift it for me. Um, I think having, you know, young kids helps with the balance because they're like, they're the best at like, stop looking at your phone or, (laughs) you know, we went on a trip, we went to the beach for a week. That was our big trip for the summer. And I was so curious what my two-year-old would miss. And I'm not proud to say this, but (laughs) we got home after the long drive. She beelined it to the playroom to get her play phone and to say hi to Alexa. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm like, that's a really good mirror of like what we're right. <laughs> modeling what, what for we're imprinting her. on the kids there. So I, I try not to have my phone because I don't want her. She's carrying around her phone and going like, hello, hello. I'm like, who are you talking to? I'm talking to you. I'm like, I don't have my phone. <laughs> so um, they're great for sort of checking and trolling with you yeah. are not finding that balance and being present. Um, and then, yeah, Martine and I got started and we said, hey, if we want to create a space and a community that's really supportive for women, we have to walk the walk. Right. We're, and, you know, we're still work in progress. Yeah. But it was very much if we're going to, you know, we talk a lot about how too many people subscribe to hustle culture and how that doesn't work for women mm-hmm. and how can we uh, build a community where we can all thrive with more ease and less hustle. Right. So I'm not, <laughs> again, very imperfect, but always trying yeah. to work on that. Yeah. Well, what about that stress side of it? Like, you know, it can be stressful running yeah. a space like this, events and all of those kinds of things. How do you manage that for yourself? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, for me, I, I just try to take care of myself, whether that's like moving every day, um, having a dog is great, um, you know, exercising, I think having a trusted set of friends or, you know, advisor types Mm -hmm. that you can kind of vent. I think airing of grievances is always great (laughs) to relieve stress. Um, But yeah, I'm not going to lie. I don't, I I don't know. I, I, I'm thankful I have a dog and I go for walks. Um, I am going to date myself, but I actually, it was a very stressful moment and I was walking my dog at night in Grant Park and I was shouting Serenity Now. It's a Seinfeld <laughs> reference. <laughs> and I was like, did that help? I was, I'm, I'm open to trying anything that is good for stress management. So. Seems like it kind of helped George Casanza. I don't know if Serenity Now really helped it. Um, uh, that's so funny. Um, okay, let, let, let's talk about how you actually manage this place. Um, are there any kind of tools or systems or frameworks or anything that you use that has helped you 
figure out how to make things run better here? Something that if you didn't have, it would make your life much worse. Um, I mean, we're, we use all the like same project management kind of tools that probably a lot of other companies do. I will say that our like foundation and structure, structure of running a physical space, the success is due to the community managers we have. So uh-huh. the way that we recruit, onboard, um, train and check in with them is key. It's a self-run space. I think a lot of people don't expect that because co-working spaces are different. Some have full-time receptionists. Right. We don't, and we're not planning on getting one anytime soon. So setting the tone is key. I think setting the tone right. to the members as far as what they can expect and managing their expectations is really important, but our community managers help reinforce that. It can't just be me and Martine and our team constantly telling them, you know, you have like, you can't, you have to clean up after yourself, simple <laughs> things like that. Right. We, um, we actually have like pretty in-depth conversations around wayfinding signs. Like how do we make sure that we are being really strategic with how we're, um, giving the information to people here, members uh, and guests from a physical standpoint, from a digital standpoint, because we have a digital platform, Mighty Networks we use. Um, so it's all, how does that all work? And it's just a fascinating, in my opinion, evaluation of like human behavior, because in COVID, you know, we did what everyone did. We were triple disinfecting because we thought that's how we got it. Right. We were making people social distance. We asked them to check in um, in a different way. And so we had all these signs telling you like, go this way, don't go this way, wipe this down, use this. And it got to the point where it was death by signs. There were yeah. so many signs that nobody was looking at any of them. Right. So for us, it's probably low tech in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. But then we also use When I Work, it's like a good shift um, app for our community managers if they need to s- switch their schedules. We want it to okay. be really flexible so they can drop a shift and ask someone, hey, I'll swap you, you know, for a Tuesday, for a Thursday or something like that. Right. Um, and then we're big users. I, we still use Trello. We still use um, Airtable and all that stuff. So yeah. we, we and Zapier is a good one to connect all of it. Yeah, um, that's great. Um, and I've never heard of when I work before. So that, that's it's very that's specific nice little... for like restaurants and staff, right. like ones that have a lot of part time changing shifts okay. and staff. Yeah. Oh, so mainly meant for restaurants, but you've kind of adapted yeah. it for what y'all need. I think we learned about it through Switchyards. So okay. they, yeah, they found it. Okay. Awesome. Um, okay. Uh, let's talk about, uh, kind of the advice that you would give now, um, to somebody else that's starting a side hustle or a small business. Um, uh, you've now seen a lot of them, right? Through the venture for America thing. And then now this, um, what advice would you give? And then obviously your own experience, what advice would you give to somebody that is going through this process or thinking about going through this process? Just in general, not a physical space. Just in general, okay. not necessarily a physical space. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said that earlier. Yeah, okay. don't don't do a brick and mortar space. I think I feel like I'm going to be a broken record because I'm sure everyone has said this, but like small tests, yeah. just throw things out there, talk to people. As soon as you are thinking about it, I think a lot of people tend to keep it close to the chest. But as the more you talk about it, the better you're going to get at articulating it, the mm-hmm. more people you spread the word to. And I guess this is the assumption that you are okay with sharing the idea, because I understand that some people feel like this idea is very precious. I don't want someone to steal it. Right. I'm a firm believer that ideas are a dime a dozen. It's the execution. So right. if you believe that you are the right person to do it, I wouldn't worry about telling and sharing it with the world. Yeah. It'll come back to you. Someone will tell somebody else. 
who will be able to help you, who they'll connect you to. So I think it's just don't be scared to, to share it yeah. and talk about it. Yeah, you, you hit that next question that I was going to ask you because that comes up all the time. So many founders are afraid of their idea being stolen. Yeah. Um, and my conjecture is always, if it's so easy to take your idea and do it, then it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, and as well, I mean, there's a lot of ideas, right? Yeah. This is not going to be your last idea. Yeah. And there's also enough room oftentimes in the market for, you know, similar More than ones. One. And there are a ton of women's organizations and women's spaces um, in and around Atlanta and across the country. And we actually have a collective. We don't see it as competition. We right. see it as power in numbers. Right. So we actually have this reciprocal um, partnership with a lot of them. So if you're in New York City and you're a member at the Lola, you can go on to the Luminary um, while oh, you're nice. there. And so there are benefits. I think seeing it from that perspective um, is the way to go. I mean, I guess the, uh, in contrast to everyone's competition, I don't want to talk to anybody. Right. It's the, the rising tide lifts all boats exactly. approach instead of... Uh, I'm going to tank your boat and make it sink instead. <laughs> I, I, yes. I guess that's the alternate, right? Um, okay. Uh, last question for you, I think, um, unless another one comes up <laughs> based on your answer. Um, you know, you, you've kind of been through this now for a while and now looking back at it, um, you know, it's been a few years. Is there something that you would do differently now, knowing what you know now, based on kind of what's happened in the past. And, and obviously knowing that if you'd done it differently, you would have ended up in a different place, but just knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? I mean, I wouldn't have started this right before, seven months before a pandemic, but aside from that- <laughs> That's hard to predict. That is very hard to predict. <laughs> so. Um, that's a really good question. You know, for us, it was really important to prioritize this being a space for women across races to belong. Mm -hmm. So we really prioritized and focused on that. I will say when we first opened our doors, it was a majority um, white members who came in. So we went from, I believe, 30% women of color that first year to 51 um, at the end of 2020. So it took us a little bit, we focused on it. I'm, I guess I'm wondering, and I don't have the answer to this, is there something we could have done different that would have at the get-go Right. Um, been able to message and communicate to um, women of color and across races that this is a space for you to belong. Maybe not. Maybe it's more of the like, I need to show them. You just got to do the work. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but that was really, really important to us. We had recruitment ambassadors, um, all women of color helping us recruit even before we opened. But right. again, it didn't exist. They couldn't see it. It wasn't tangible, but it was really important to us to be able to support and not just subscribe to white feminism. Right. Um, I'm proud to say that we, you know, we now represent a, a much more diverse group. But in the beginning, we said we wanted that, and it, it didn't show up until. It took yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, I lied. I've got one more question for you. <laughs> um, what's next then for the Lola? You know, for us, it's kind of been unimaginable how long it's taken to come out of the effects of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Our original plan before. COVID hit was to expand um, to different locations. Uh -huh. Originally, before we opened, we thought multiple locations across Atlanta because it's so sprawling and traffic so bad. But as the first year in, we realized people were coming from Cobb County, Gwinnett, Marietta, Athens, in fact, um, folks who had reasons to come in town for client or work. 
So that kind of dispelled that assumption. So we, an hour, hour and a half away, they would still drive in. And they would sit here and drink some wine in our main lounge um, uh-huh. or listen to a podcast so they could avoid rush hour traffic. Oh, um, very nice. So it was kind of a good sort of, this was their in-town hub. Right. And so once we realized this is a, more of a destination, we were interested in um, opening up in different cities. So that's been tabled indefinitely because of the pandemic, um, but we'd love to revisit that in the future. Um, we, we had our eye on Baltimore because it's got amazing diversity from um, professional women population perspective. It's constantly overshadowed by DC. Um, it's a pretty major city that I feel like <laughs> it just goes under yeah. the radar yeah. um, or other cities in the Southeast. I think that would be exciting. Yeah. Um, Eileen, this has been a awesome conversation. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, today. thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Please give us five stars if you enjoyed this podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit Hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Parikh. You can find out more about me at my website, sanjayparikh.com.